Welcome to this podcast from The Well, a United Methodist Church in Rosemount, Minnesota. Thank you for taking the time to listen. For more information, please check us out at thewellmn.church. Grace and peace be with you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning and welcome to Worship at the Well. I am Pastor Ed and I am honored to be with you. Whether you're joining us online or in person, we hope that you are uplifted by the service, that your spirit is lifted up, and that you are prepared for a new year. The weather this morning reminds me of that famous song, I'm Dreaming of a White New Year. <laughs> we didn't quite get Christmas, but we got some snow today, and it's kind of nice. I don't, I'm not a big fan of snow, but we haven't had any this year, and it's nice to see a little bit out there. And, Remind us that we live in Minnesota and this beautiful state. So thank you again for braving the weather, for being here this morning, and for all that you do. What do we have in announcements today? Um, we're still on kind of holiday time. No dinner this week uh, for Wednesday night. Choir rehearsals do resume uh, on the 4th and the 10th, as you can see there. And what does it mean to be affirming? The, the uh, small group that's been meeting in the chapel on Wednesday nights uh, will get back together on the 10th, which is a week from this coming Wednesday. We have a Red Cross blood drive coming up January 11th. If you can donate blood, I hope that you will. Unfortunately, I can't or I'd be leading the way. I, I think it's very important that people do this. And um, I hope that if you can donate, you, you make that effort. Parents Night Out coming up January 12th. You can sign up online. Confirmation the 14th, okay. I'm learning things too as we go through here. This is good. <laughs> and is that all of our announcements? There we go. Um, I want to uh, thank everybody for your, your participation at Christmas time. You know, it's still technically Christmas. There are 12 days in Christmas, so Merry Christmas to you again. We had this sign made up, and on Christmas Eve, people came down by the trees and took pictures with their family. It's a lot of fun. It's not too late. I've already taken some this morning with the sign. It'll be up here after the service if you would like to participate. Um, as we supported different ministries with our Christmas and Advent offerings, uh, one of them is Worldwide Mobility. And there's a cart in the narthex with the hand pedals, and we've talked about this before. And I didn't realize how many people from our church actually volunteer there. A lot of people, and I got their names this morning, and I've been asked to recognize them, and I'm happy to do that. Tom Montgomery, if, you, if you're here, raise your hand, okay? Mark Moffitt, Daryl Dilley, there we go. Hans Stewart, Terry Mills, Doc Richardson, Malcolm um, Berserta. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Berserto. There we go. So thank you to all that you do for that ministry. It's so important. Those are all my announcements. If you're able, please stand up and join us in the call to worship. Lord God, you have shown us for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to plant, a time to kill, a time to break down. A time to weep, a time to mourn, 
Time to throw away stones. Time to embrace. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to love and a time to hate. Show us what time it is right now, Lord. Amen. That's the message from Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And I I have to talk about Mark a little bit to set the, the frame here. You've heard these words before. You may know these words by heart even. But to understand the context is to give it some new meaning. Mark is probably the oldest of the four Gospels in our Bible, probably written first. And he says that this is the good news, the evangelion. Eva means to go out, angelion is the messenger. It's the messenger who goes out with that good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Good news, of course, gospel in Greek. We get the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and Mark wants to tell us that story, and he can't wait to tell you. He kind of cuts corners, and he kind of goes too fast, and he kind of jumps things around a little bit. So much so that when Luke writes his gospel, he says, I'm going to write an orderly account. (laughs) Sort of as a not not like Mark's. But he's read Mark, of course, because almost every word of Mark is in Luke's gospel. It's in Matthew's gospel. That's how we think he came first. And he's doing something had never been done. Gospel is a, is, is a literary form that we all recognize now, but it had never been written before. It's sort of biography, but not quite. It's sort of a theological treatise, but not quite. It's sort of historical record, but not quite. It takes biography and theology and history and combines them together into that thing. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's a sermon right there in that gospel word, right? We want you to think about the good news of Jesus Christ, but spoiler alert, if you read to the end, he's going to get crucified. That's the good news, right? Wait a minute. (laughs) You're asking me to think about good news in a way that doesn't make sense. Right off the bat, I'm kind of curious, how are we going to tie these things together? How can this story be good Where's the the joy in that? We have 20 verses, and it's it's easily four sermons, so just settle in. We'll be here for a little bit. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. We can't do four sermons. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son. I got to stop already. God's Son. To us, that means divinity. It might have meant divinity to Mark, we're not sure, but it probably also meant something to the people who heard it. You know who they called the Son of God? The Emperor. This book is written under Roman occupation. Jesus is crucified probably 33 AD, resurrected. That's the beginning of the gospel, right? But this book is probably written in the 60s or early 70s. And that's important to understand because 
In 66 AD, the Jews decided they'd had enough of Rome and they went to war with them. Just a side note, if you find yourself in that situation, don't go to war with Rome. They always win. <laughs> and it's a, it's, it's tragedy, I'm making fun of it, but there's terrible things that happened and, and, and there's people trading sides and, tra- and traitors and glorious things and sacrifices and the story of Masada and all those things. But the, 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 the culmination of this war... The high point of it is that in 70 AD, in August, they get into Jerusalem. The Romans get back into Jerusalem, and they're really angry. And they tear that temple down for the second time. The Babylonians had torn it down 600 years before that, and now they're going to tear it down again. We're tired of this. We're tired of what you've done. Hasn't been rebuilt since. Now, the supporting wall for the temple is still there. It's where the wailing wall is. I'll show you pictures sometime. It's fascinating. But Mark is either written as those things are happening. They say it's either written during the war or just after it. Now, if this nation had just come through four years of war and our nation's capital had been destroyed or our churches had been destroyed and now you're writing me a book about the good news, I'd have to think again, wouldn't I? The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about the prophet in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I'm sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show they were changing their hearts and lives, and wanted God to forgive their sins. Mark can't wait to tell you about Jesus, but he just can't skip this part. Before Jesus is John the Baptist. Jesus does not baptize John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. That's a problem for Christians later. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rejoice and repent. He didn't say it first. John the Baptist said it before him. That's going to be a problem in another 30 years. Christians are going to wrestle with people who think John was the Messiah. So when you get to the Gospels, they cannot wait to tell you John was not the Messiah. He was pointing to the Messiah. I should have pulled up some artwork this morning. When you look at um, Renaissance art from the church, they do a lot of the saints. And it's hard to tell them apart. But if the saint's got keys in his hand, it's who? Peter. The keys to the kingdom, right? If the saint is pointing at Jesus, that's John the Baptist. John always points in the paintings. It's not me, it's, it's him. If you go to Minneapolis Institute of Art, and some of you have talked about going with me, I'd love to schedule that. There's a painting of John the Baptist as a child, about a four or five-year-old boy. And he's all energetic, and he's got his finger. Boom. <laughs> and you, you can read the clue. This isn't in just any ordinary kid. That kid is pointing to Jesus. When we read Luke's gospel, you know, in connection with the birth of Jesus, every single thing he tells us, Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus, from his conception to his birth to his growing up, every single fact we have about Jesus is also told to us about John. He tells us the story of two babies being born. He tells us the story of two babies being blessed. He tells us the story of two babies growing up. 
And if Luke were to come back today and watch our Christmas celebration, he'd say, well, where's John? (laughs) How can you have a Christmas pageant without John in it? Just one time before I retire, let's have a Christmas pageant and have two babies in it. And everybody will be so confused. (laughs) Everyone in Judea and the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River. Jerusalem to the Jordan River, still there. I don't know, 30 miles. That's a hike, even with a cart, even with a horse. You're going quite a way to hear this one guy preach. And they were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John is doing something had not been done before. He's baptizing people, which to us, oh yeah, we get that. Water on the head, maybe you dunk them, you know, whatever your tradition is. It's a baptism, sure. That's new. The Jewish people had a tradition of of cleansing themselves from their sins by washing in a ceremonial bath. And then the priest would say, okay, now you're clean, you can go into the temple. But not everybody had to do that. It was only if you had done something that made you unclean. And I'm sorry, women. If you'd had a menstruation period, you had to be bathed there with the priest watching. Can't believe how far we've come, right? If you'd had to come in contact with a dead body, which people have to do, you needed to be cleansed. If you'd gone into the house of a pagan, you had to be cleansed. There were certain things that caused you to be unclean and couldn't go to the temple now, but you could once you were cleansed in this water. And John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, standing in the Jordan River and shouting at people, you all need to be cleansed. And I'm sure some of them said, no, I'm good. (laughs) I know the laws. I haven't done those things. And he says, no, you are sinners. You need to confess your sin and be baptized. It was a new way of thinking about it this new tradition that becomes the indoctrination to the, to the Christian church. We baptize babies in the Methodist church and in the Lutheran church, and we dedicate adults. Seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, whenever your congregation does it, you confirm a child. They confirm the vows their parents made for them and become an adult in the eyes of the church. In one of my churches... One of our confirmands in ninth grade wanted to count the offering. Oh, we can't can't let a kid do that. (laughs) Sorry, he's not a kid. He's been confirmed. He's not an adult in the church. That's That's the dividing line. He did fine. If you go to a different tradition, the Baptist tradition, Assembly of God, a lot of the evangelical, non non um, denominational churches, they don't baptize a baby because a baby can't make a faith statement. You have to be old enough to say, I believe in Jesus. This was the tradition my mother was raised in, and this is why I was baptized when I was 13. And I've told you that story before. The pastor says, do you believe in Jesus? And I lied and said, yes. (laughs) Do you believe in this? And I lied and said, yes. I lied to the whole thing. I talked to him later. I said, I really pulled a quick one on you, didn't I? (laughs) He laughed. He said, look where you ended up. (laughs) So John is introducing baptism. This is just exciting stuff, isn't it? How are we going to get to 20 verses? 
John wore clothes made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend down and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I won't pause. I'll keep going. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, up north, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love, and you I find happiness. The baptism of Jesus is a world history-changing event. Jesus is baptized, and Mark says that day heaven opened up, and God clearly said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I don't know if it happened like that, but it's the effect, isn't it? Heaven's opened when Jesus does his ministry. Heaven's opened when Jesus is baptized. Heaven's opened when Jesus dies on the cross. And we are connected to the Lord. This glorious connection. Uh, the, the translation I, I know from heart is, um, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This translation, you are my son whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. I kind of like that. Reminds me of being a grandfather. Those cute kids, I've got four of them now. Asked to see pictures, I got lots. <laughs> Just being with them makes me happy. Even when they're being difficult, even when they're tired, even when they're making messes, just being with them makes me happy. To think that God looks down from heaven at this little event in the Jordan River 2,000 years ago and it makes him happy. I like that connection. At once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. Once again, we have another sermon there. I won't do it. But um, the wilderness in Minnesota is where? Up north. It's kind of pretty. We got your lakes. We got your woods. Bring your fishing pole, your mosquito repellent. You'll be good. <laughs> the wilderness in Judah is sand and rocks and sun and no water. It is a place where you will die in days if you don't have support. He's going out to a very unhospitable place for 40 days and miraculously survives. Sermon, sermon, sermon. Goes from baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Get out in the wilderness. After John was arrested, see, we're, we're just 14 verses into this. We've already got John's beginning and his arrest. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust the good news, which is basically John's message over again. As Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, 
Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I will show you how to fish for people. Right away they left their nets and followed him. After going a little farther, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat repairing the fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. And I'm sure Zebedee was like, oh, good, my boys aren't here to help anymore. (laughs) There's so much I have to know, I don't know. Do these people already know Jesus? Has he been their friend for years and talked about the kingdom of God, and now he's saying, now we're going to go out and do this, and they're saying, we've been waiting, here we go. Or are they strangers, and they hear this man they don't know saying, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, and he's somehow so powerful, so spirit-filled, they say, we got to go with this guy. One of the little notes here is, who were the disciples? Well, these first four are fishermen. And there's a little bit of a tendency to think of them as the poorest of the poor, and they're not. Zebedee owns boats, plural. He has two sons who works in the boats, and he has hired men. What does that tell you about Zebedee? He's a business owner, isn't he? It might be a small business, but he's not the poorest of the poor, certainly. So Jesus is taking people from different walks of life. He's going to get Matthew, a tax collector, who's very wealthy. He's going to take other people, of course. We, we could look at all these stories, but he calls to him these everyday people. You are my disciples. I will make you fishers of men. I heard a fun commentary on this guy. He said, I'm supposed to be a fishers of men, but I can't even catch a fish. <laughs> I'm not very good at that. How can I be a fisher of men? And it, it's sort of like... Yeah, Jesus wants us to be fishers of men, but it's just a metaphor. He wants you to do what you do best. In their case, fishing. And take those things you know about fishing and apply it to being a disciple. And if Jesus was here and he was calling you to be his disciple, he wouldn't say, I need you to be really good at fishing. He'd say, I know what you're best at. I know what you do well. I need you to do that for the kingdom. Here comes a new year. I've got to talk about that. What are you best at? What's your gift? You have a gift. If, you think, if you're saying to yourself, I don't have a gift, you're wrong. I believe from the bottom of my heart, everybody's got a gift. And I'm pretty sure it's not the one you want. I have this gift to get up and be able to talk until I think of something to say. Not everybody has that gift. I wish I could sing. I can kind of sing, but no, I wish I could sing solos and just wow people. That'd be so cool. I wish I could play violin or piano. I can't, I can't. I don't have the gift I want, but I've got the gift I've got. You've been given a gift. How do you use it for the kingdom? That's a New Year's resolution for you. Take a look at your gifts. Young or old, big family, no family, whoever you are, you've been gifted. You've been gifted for a purpose of serving in the kingdom. How can you make a difference?
Blessed 2024, doesn't that seem hard to say? Blessed 2024 to you and to all. Amen. Now in the name of God, the Creator, who gave us life and abides with us, we go into the new year with faith and hope. We dedicate our lives to God's love and service. We go out from this place to bring new hope and peace to the world. Amen. Amen.